Hi. Hey. Why are you in a hoodie? It's a million degrees in Arizona. It's actually chilly in my house right now. That's why I was like, I kind of need a hoodie, like a little hoodie. <laughs> and I have shorts on and, you know. Is it the like history a of a haunting? And... Is it the history of a haunting hoodie? No, it's just an old. Take it off and go put the history of the haunting hoodie on. <laughs> what is wrong with you? <laughs> it was right here. Okay, fine. Right here. All right, so this week is my short story week, which is sort of short. I'm going to blast through it, guys. Um, so it's, it, it's interesting. Uh, my sources for today's episode are wikipedia.org and thecrimewire.com. So I'm going to tell you guys about four brutal murders that killed a total of 177 people and the weird thing that links all of them together and it isn't a serial killer. Okay. It's weird. They would have to be... All right, get on. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> so some of them, there are, I've heard of all of them, but two of them are infamous. So let's just dive right into the murders. The first one is the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. Okay. So that was a, uh, uh, I'm like rushing, so I'm going to trip over everything. So the Oklahoma City bombing was, as we all know, a domestic terrorist uh, truck bombing of the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Um, it happened on April 19th, 1995, um, which was actually the second anniversary of the fiery end to the Waco siege. Um Google search that, guys, if you want to know more about that. But that was uh, all about crazy David Crush. So um, this Oklahoma City bombing was the deadliest act of terrorism in the United States history until 9-11 in 2001. And this actually remains the deadliest act of domestic terrorism in United States history and the second deadliest overall. So it was perpetrated by two anti-government extremists and white supremacists, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. It occurred at 9.02 a.m. and killed 168 people of the 177 that I mentioned. It injured 680 and destroyed more than one-third of the building, which had to be demolished. The blast destroyed or damaged 324 other buildings within a 16-block radius. It shattered glass in 258 buildings, destroyed 86 cars, and caused an estimated $652 million worth of damage. Um, so... Within 90 minutes of the explosion, McVeigh was stopped by an Oklahoma Highway patrolman, a man named Charlie Hanger, for driving without a license plate, and he was arrested for illegal weapons possession. So forensic evidence quickly linked him and Nichols to the attack. Nichols was arrested, and within days, both were charged. Um, and a, a couple, Michael and Lori Fortier, were later identified as accomplices. So McVeigh was a veteran of the Gulf War and a sympathizer with the U.S. militia movement. He had detonated a Ryder rental truck full of explosives he parked in front of the building. Um, Nichols had assisted with the bomb's preparation. So he was motivi motivated, nope, motivated by his dislike for the U.S. federal government and unhappy about its handling of the Ruby Ridge incident in 92 and the Waco siege in 93. So he timed his attack. McVeigh timed the attack to coincide with the second anniversary of the fire that ended the siege at the Branch Davidian compound in Waco, Texas. So the official FBI investigation known as OK Bomb involved 28,000 interviews, 
3.5 short tons of evidence <laughs> and nearly 1 billion pieces of information. When they raided McVeigh's home, it found a telephone number that led them to a farm where McVeigh had purchased supplies for the bombing. The bombers were tried and convicted in 1997. McVeigh was sentenced to death and executed by lethal injection on June 11, 2001 at the U.S. Federal Penitentiary in Terre Haute, Indiana. Nichols was released, um, or rather, was sentenced to life in prison in 2004, and uh, Michael and Lori Fortier testified against McVeigh and Nichols. Uh, he was sentenced to 12 years in prison for failing to warn the United States government, and Lori received immunity from prosecution in exchange for her testimony. So um, on April 19th, 2000, the Oklahoma City National Memorial was dedicated on the site of the Murrah Federal Building, commemorating the victims of the bombing. And remembrance services are held every year on April 19th at the time of the explosion. So the next one is um, happened in 2001, and this is Andrea Yates. Do you remember her? It sounds familiar, but I can't. Yeah. So she's an American woman from Houston, Texas, who confessed to drowning her five children in their bathtub on oh, June yes. 20th, 2001. Yeah. She had exhibited severe postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and schizophrenia leading up to the murders. So um, she was the youngest of five children. And she suffered from bulimia and depression during her teenage years and at age 17 spoke to a friend about suicide. So from 86 to 94, she worked as a registered nurse at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. And then in the summer of 1989, she met Russell Yates, who was a NASA engineer, and they married um, on April 17, 1993. So following the birth of their fourth child, Luke, her depression resurfaced. Um, on June 16th, 1999, Rusty found her shaking and chewing her fingers. The next day, she attempted suicide by overdosing on pills, leading her to being hospitalized and prescribed antidepressants. Soon after her release, she, be she begged Rusty to let her die as she held a knife up to her neck. Once again, she was hospitalized and given a plethora of medications, including Haldol, which is an antipsychotic drug. So I guess her condition improved immediately and she was prescribed it upon her release. She appeared temporarily stabilized. In July of 99, she had a nervous breakdown, which culminated into two suicide attempts and two psychiatric hospitalizations that summer. She was subsequently diagnosed with postpartum psychosis. So her first, psychi her first psychiatrist, uh, Dr. Starbranch, testified that she urged Rusty, her and Rusty, not to have any more children as it would guarantee future psychotic depression, but they can conceive their fifth and final child approximately seven weeks after her discharge. So she stopped taking Haldol in March of 2000 and gave birth to her daughter, Mary, nine months later. So she seemed to be coping well until the death of her father in March of 2001. Then she started uh, or she stopped taking her medication, mutilated herself, read the Bible feverishly and stopped feeding Mary. She became so incapacitated that she required immediate hospitalization. On April 1st, 2001, she came under the care of Dr. Saeed. She was treated and released. On May 3rd, 2001, she, she uh, degenerated back into a near catatonic state and filled the bathtub in the middle of the day. She would later confess to police that she had planned to drown the children that day, but had decided against doing it then. She was hospitalized the next day after a scheduled doctor's visit. Her psychiatrist determined she was probably suicidal and assumed she had filled the tub to drown herself. 
So at the time of the murders, they were living in a Houston suburb of Clear Lake City. She continued under Dr. Saeed's care until June 20th, 2001, when Rusty left for work, leaving her alone um, to watch the children against Dr. Saeed's instructions that she be supervised around the clock. Rusty's mother had been scheduled to arrive an hour later to take over um, caring for Andrea and the children. But in the space of that hour, Andrea Yates drowned all five of her children in the bathtub. She started with John, Paul, and Luke, and then laid them in her bed. She then drowned the infant Mary, whom she left floating in the bathtub. Noah came in and asked what was wrong with Mary. He then ran, but Yates caught him and drowned him. She left him floating in the tub and laid Mary in John's arms in the bed. She then called police, repeatedly saying she needed um, an officer, but refusing to say why. And she then called Rusty and told him to come home right away. She was found not guilty by reason of insanity, as defined by... Um, the state of Texas. She was thereafter committed to the North Texas State Hospital Vernon campus. In 2007, she was moved to the Kerrville uh, State Hospital, which was a low security mental facility in Kerrville, Kerrville Texas. And I also read that she had been, um, she, I think she had gotten the opportunity to be released and she said she, said she didn't want to be. She wanted to stay where she was. So... Um, the third one is the murder of Pastor Carol Daniels. And I don't know if you've heard of this one. This one I had, I think one of my true crime, I don't know if it was my favorite murder, somebody covered it. But in August of 2009, Carol Daniels traveled from her home in Northeast Oklahoma City to a church at which she was the pastor in Anadarko, Oklahoma. The trip took um, on average just over an hour. She arrived at the church close to 10 a.m. And often there would be no congregants to preach to, but in case they did show up, Pastor Daniels was there. A local convenience store had had a surveillance system that was able to catch the car driven by Pastor Daniels pulling up to the parking lot of the Christ Holy Sanctified Church right around 10 a.m. It was approximately 11.40 a.m. on that same day when retired Bishop Silky Wilson Jr. and his wife Julia came to the front door of the church in an attempt to visit the pastor. They would later, later tell investigators that they immediately knew something wasn't right as the door was locked and their knocking yielded no response. They began knocking on the windows in an attempt to get the attention of anyone inside the church, again with no luck. So sometime between their 11.40 a.m. arrival and 11.51, the pair made the decision and the short walk down to the police station. So at 12.01, Officer Ashley Burris arrives at the church and begins assessing the situation and speaking with the Wilsons. At 12.04, Officer Burris makes entry into the church through the side door. It is at this point she notices the now deceased Pastor Daniels on the floor near the pulpit. She radios for help, noting that Ms. Daniels is deceased and no suspect is present. She had been stabbed several times. Her throat had been slit almost to the point of decapitation. Her clothes had been taken and her hair had been set on fire. Also, what the police referred to as a dissolving agent was used in an attempt to cover up any evidence left behind. Her body's placement has been the subject of speculation as well. Uh, Initial reports and rumors in the town were that her body had been placed in a crucifix position behind the pulpit with her arms outspread and her feet put together. Later, the investigators... um, from the Oklahoma Bureau of Investigations would make the case that this is just how her body had fallen. So the nature of the murder, the profession of the woman murdered, and the lengths the perpetrators went to to make the crime as clean um, of any evidence as possible make it hard to believe that her body had just fallen into that position. 
So neither did the dissolving agent nor the weapon used nor her clothes have ever been located. Initially, there were no witnesses and only a few scattered calls to the local police department, which seemed to be of little help. Somebody, some, Someone somehow was able to overpower her and had the time to nearly sever her head from her body, along with the time and motive to set her hair on fire and rob her of her clothes. Later on in the investigation, a video would emerge of an unidentified subject sprinting across the street from the church with something that looked like an object in their hands. The suspect in this video was never identified and almost no quality descriptive details could be gained from the video as the suspect is only seen from a distance and the quality of the video wasn't good. So that's unsolved. The last one, I know, right? I was like, Uh, the last one is the Jameson family disappearance and murders. Have you heard of this one? I don't think so. So the Jameson family death occurred on or after October 8th, 2009, when the Jameson family of Eufaula, Oklahoma, mysteriously disappeared. It was the husband, Bobby Jameson, his wife, Sherilyn, and their daughter, Madison. The family was reportedly considering um, the purchase of a 40-acre plot of land near Red Oak, about 30 miles from Eufaula at the time they vanished. So the initial investigation into the disappearance indicated that they probably had not vanished of their own accord. The family's pickup truck was found abandoned later in Larimer County, Oklahoma, which um, is a short distance of Quinta. I'm not really sure where that is. Um, And it was a few days after their disappearance, it was found. Their bodies were not actually found, but their malnourished dog, Maisie, was still in the truck. So also discovered were the family's ID cards, wallets, mobile phones, a GPS system, and $32,000 in cash. So they were not known for carrying large amounts of cash with them. So it's all just very weird. Um, Maybe it was a down, like a down payment on the land they wanted to buy. Nobody knows. So footage from the family's home surveillance system, timestamped the day they left their house, showed the couple making several silent trips between their vehicle and home as they methodically packed to leave. In the footage, the couple's movements were described as trance-like. The video also shows Sherilyn place a a brown briefcase in the vehicle. And the um, sheriff remarked that he believed the briefcase could be an important clue. Both the briefcase and Sherilyn's handgun have never been recovered. So four years later, skeletal remains of two adults and a child were discovered by two hunters in a remote spot of Latimer County in November uh, of 2013, more than four years after the family went missing and less than three miles away from where their pickup truck had been found abandoned with their dog. The remains were widely presumed to be those of the missing family, though the Oklahoma Medical Examiner's Office had to use anthropological and forensic pathological testing to identify them. Officials confirmed... Yay! Um, (laughs) Officials confirmed on July 3rd, 2014, that the remains belonged to the Jamesons. A cause of death was not determined due to the heavily decomposed state of the bodies. So... Before the remains were discovered, several theories emerged about the family's disappearance, such as they had faked their own deaths, were in witness protection, were murdered, or had died by group suicide. Shortly before the disappearance, Bobby Jameson was involved in a bitter lawsuit with his father, Bob Dean Jameson, claiming that he had threatened the... Threatened? Nope. 
threatened the family and had struck him with his vehicle in November of 2008. Like, that's a bad relationship with your father. <laughs> when you try to run him over? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like a yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to come back from that. Um, Bobby also alleged that his father was involved in meth and criminal activity. Police do not believe that Bob Dean Jameson was involved in the family's disappearance, however. So another popular theory was that the Jamesons themselves were drug dealers. Investigators cited the large amount of cash found in their truck and the apparent strange behavior exhibited by Bobby and Sherilyn shortly before they went missing. The Jamesons had reportedly told their local pastor, Gary Brandon, on separate occasions that they had seen spirits inside their home and that Bobby had allegedly claimed to have been reading from the Satanic Bible. Sounds it's, like maybe you need to go to sleep. Meth, yeah. Meth, meth. <laughs> it's, and this case has also never been solved. So all of these horrific cases seem to have no connection, um, except that they actually do share a weird commonality. They all happened along the 35th degree latitude line that runs across the United States from North Carolina Hi, uh, it's in California. It swipes through Oklahoma City, uh, the bombings, Anadarko, Oklahoma, uh, <laughs> where the pastor was murdered, Latimer County, Oklahoma, where the Jamesons were found, and um, Houston, Texas. But Houston, Texas is about just six degrees south. It's at like 29 degrees. Um, as a result, the 35th degree latitude line has come to be known and named the line of tragedy. Now, it's fair to say that you could link every line of latitude to murders if you really wanted to research the hell out of it. But it's yeah. just really weird that these very well-known and shocking, horrific cases all happened along the same latitude line. These are all unique and super rare cases. It's just weird. Hmm, and weird. so it's been dubbed the line of tragedy. What are your thoughts on it? A coincidence. Yeah? Mm. Yeah. Oddly strange coincidence, though. But again, like, you could, if you really wanted to be like, all right, let's look up some of these murders... You probably could find, you know, murders along every latitude line, but these are just, I don't know. Houston it was is like what the fourth largest city in the U S so, I mean, there's going to be a ton of shit. There. Yeah. And, yeah. And the rest is like, it goes through Oklahoma and Texas, like say less. <laughs> <laughs> Those are, I mean, that should be the States of tragedy. Some crazy shit there too. You know what I mean? Like, yeah this is known for having crazy shit happen there like all the like, time yeah yeah it's like sure. pick a parallel line that runs through florida i'm sure we could find six million fucking so weirdo shit to much, there. <laughs> so much weird shit yeah right. so i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about the jameson family's disappearance and this theory and i'm like what in the hell is this theory also i have a picture real quick of the line of tragedy so, I mean, my house. it looks like it does. The tragedy, the amount of laundry I have to do. Yeah, it looks like it does. And it looks like it goes just below my house. So um, that could really be that could really be what it is um, that we have all the laundry. Related. I think it's laundry related too, uh, because the tragedy is I'm, I'm having to wear like old jammy top. I'm like out of clothes. <laughs> so and the other uh, the 
other part of this tragedy is I don't have time to do laundry. Um, so, and I don't have money to buy new clothes. So <laughs> something's got to give. <laughs> Maybe I need meth to stay up all night to do the laundry. Um, so anyway, yeah, that is the line of tragedy, guys. So yeah, leave us your thoughts. Um, it's just kind of interesting that somebody noticed that. It's also interesting that somebody took the time to be like, where are what are these all in the same like line on the like I, I I couldn't find who came up with the theory or noticed it or anything like that. But um yeah, that's the line of tragedy. So happy Monday. Yeah. Woo. Good. Yay. Times. Happy Monday, guys. Um, getting your week started off right and weird. We hope you have a fabulous week. We hope you can do your laundry. And uh, we will see you back next week. Laura, you're up with your weird story next week. And to that, I say, have the week you'll have. Do you want to say goodbye or anything? All right, bye, people. Do your laundry. It's very do early. Laundry. Do, do our laundry. <laughs> do my laundry. Okay, goodbye. We'll see you next week.